This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you are an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Great to be with you for another episode, an exciting week for us here at Equity Mates, and an exciting episode coming up. Yes, um, it is an incredibly exciting week. Uh, we launched the dive. We did. We did. A lot of work went into this. A lot of work will continue to go into it because we're doing three episodes a week, uh, which is the most frequent we've done. Is that <laughs> yeah. how you say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most voluminous Consistently podcast. Frequent. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we're doing uh, we're doing Equity Mates takes on business news. We think uh, business is this incredibly inspiring and interesting and sometimes entertaining world of big people and big companies working on hard problems. And um, we don't think financial news does a great job of telling that story. No. We think the day-to-day movement of indexes and commodity prices might matter to some people, but for most people, it sort of turns them off and pushes them away. Yeah. And it doesn't give what matters to most investors. That's it. And so we want to do the, the business news podcast that we want to listen to. And we've launched with five episodes. We hope people have listened. If you haven't, go and have a listen. We had a lot of fun making it and we hope you'll enjoy it because at the end of the day, who says business news needs to be all business? <laughs> not me, Ren, that's for sure. And it's not just... Uh you and I are behind the mic. We are very excited that Sasha, our producer, head of production here, is actually hosting the show. And uh, we've got a rotating uh, lineup of hosts with her, uh, Darcy, yourself, myself, and of course, we'll be bringing in some experts every now and then to help us unpack the big stories. I mean, you've got uh, the likes of Elon Musk roaming around in the world of business. There's always something entertaining to talk about. So That's right. That's right. <laughs> so uh, look, go have a listen. That's going to be broader business. Yeah. Equity Mate is going to be focused on investing. Uh, so Bryce, what have we got today? Well, today, Ren, we're going to be having a look at 
uh, where private equity is throwing their cash, particularly here in Australia, some big deals being done by some of the world's biggest private equity firms. Uh, And then after the break, we'll be having a look at uh, the news of Netflix and uh, going around and checking out what's been going on as earnings season kicks off in the US. Now, we do usually focus on the big tech companies. We've chosen some companies that uh, we wouldn't otherwise necessarily always talk about having a look at the impact of inflation on some of them and, uh, of course, closing out with a bit about Tesla. So... Should we oh, start? Yeah. So you say that <laughs> we're know. not going to do all the big tech companies and then- What's you, a reporting season without Tesla? Uh, yeah, we're not going to do all the big tech companies, <laughs> but we're going to focus on Netflix and Tesla. <laughs> Netflix, not as big as it used to not be. Not as big as it used to be. Not as big as it used to but be. But look, That's let's it. a lot of individual companies to talk about and let's start at home in Australia and the news of the week, the biggest leveraged buyout- in Australian history or by a global private equity firm in Australian history is on the table. Uh, KKR, the American private equity firm, is looking to buy Ramsey, yep. uh, ASX ticker RHC. Uh, it is Australia's biggest hospital operator, a big healthcare player, not just in Australia. It, actually, only one third of its revenue comes from Australia. Its biggest market in terms of revenue is Europe. And KKR are sniffing around. They are sniffing around. Um, Ramsey Healthcare, 18.3 billion market cap, but they've put a pretty juicy offer on the table. They've produced a bid at $88 a share. Now, at the time, uh, Ramsey were trading at, what, 64 bucks? Yeah. So a pretty decent premium there for shareholders. Yeah. And- Obviously, as a result, Ramsey shot up about 24% on news of the bid. That is ongoing and the Ramsey Foundation, so Paul Ramsey, the founder, is dead, but the Ramsey Foundation owns 20% of Ramsey Healthcare. They are reportedly, according to the Australian Financial Review, reportedly supportive of the takeover. So if a big shareholder with 20% is supportive, KKR probably have the odds in their favour, especially with such a juicy bid price, but we wait and see. But look- that's not really the story as we see it. Like that's what a lot of the focus has been on this week. But there's a bigger story that we wanted to unpack, which is that global private equity has turned its attention in a big way to Australia and especially after a pretty weak 2021, which is interesting because did you hear like we've got mates that are lawyers or, you know, like we just, you know, we are sort of finance adjacent here at Equity Mates. <laughs> Everyone was talking about how big – an M&A year last year was? I feel like every year is a big M&A yeah, year. The yeah, AFR yeah. always report biggest <laughs> year in M&A. Oh, big year coming up. Well, um, you're marrying into M&A royalty, <laughs> so no. you'll hear all about it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's always a big year, but um, it's, uh, yeah, I have heard that. Yeah, but the interesting thing was apparently last year for global private equity, there was only $1 billion plus buyout in Australia. KKR bought Probe CX. You heard of Probe CX? No. Neither. (laughs) (laughs) It's the largest provider of outsourced customer experience and business process outsourcing services in Australia and New Zealand. Okay. So that was a billion dollar plus deal. There were a few that were a bit smaller than a billion. BGH bought Village Roadshow. I do remember that one. Yeah, Yeah. Village Roadshow, which has a whole bunch of theme parks and stuff under it. Don't think of it as just the cinema. Yes. But if you're going to say one company that got hurt by COVID, it's theme park and cinema (laughs) operator. (laughs) Uh, And also Quadrant bought Affinity Education Group. I think they were both about half a billion dollar deals. But there were a lot of near misses. 
EQT tried to buy Iris, ticker IRE, about TPG Capital tried to buy Smart Group, a bit over a billion dollar market cap. BGH tried to buy Hanson Technologies. Carlisle tried to buy Link Group twice. Um, so they're all still ASX listed companies because those deals fell through. It's, so it's not like our private equi- equity wasn't trying. No, Th- no, Those no. were some pretty hefty, hefty feel, deals there. I feel like in private equity, there's not a lot of points for trying. No, there's not. <laughs> you either get the deal or you don't get the deal. It's pretty cutthroat. <laughs> um, the story, so Ramsey, you know, let's assume that Ramsey's balance of probabilities likely to go through yep. takes one of our big healthcare companies off the public boards yes and into private hands but look that's just the tip of the iceberg i think is the key thing that the key takeaway from this that a lot of private equity are trying to take a lot of other big companies off the boards yeah it's pretty frustrating but i think we'll get to that in a moment we'll get to that in a moment so what's some numbers between 2000 and 2020 the number of companies owned by private equity has grown five times from 1700 to 8500 globally globally Globally. yeah yeah and at the same time and we've spoken about this a number of times on the show the the number of publicly listed companies has halved Three six thousand four hundred down to three thousand six hundred. Certainly happening here in Australia and over in the states. So, opportunity for us retail investors getting smaller and getting smaller. Getting smaller, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is it's not frustrating. And look, the driver of that is more and more money is going to private equity. Yeah. So, for private equity, are these big pools of money essentially that from institutions, endowments, high net worth individuals. And then these private equity companies have to go and find a way to deploy that money. Mm. 7.2 trillion assets under management today, estimated to reach 12.9 trillion by 2025. Wow. And so this is a story that we see in private equity. We see it in venture capital as well. Just more and more money needs to then get deployed because if I am the Yale endowment or the Harvard endowment and I give a private equity player money, I expect that money to be deployed. Yeah, for sure. You, you don't want to just sit in cash. You need to go and create an opportunity because yeah. I can hold that in cash. Yeah. I give it to you to work it. Yeah, and not only work <laughs> it, but they want the Uber-like returns. Yeah, and yeah. And that's so, incredible. Seven trillion assets under management expected to hit almost 13. So what? an additional six trillion in the next three years. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So we spoke to Chris DeMarcy from Montaka last year for ASX Week. Uh, That episode will be in our feed or on our website. And he was speaking about the opportunity in private equity. Yeah. Yeah. They're super bullish. And they they spoke about how it was a real winner-take-most market. They've identified the top five, KKR, Blackstone, Carlyle, Apollo, Aries, uh, that own 29% of the market. And then there's 11,000 other private equity players that make up the long tail good news is and we'll get to this at the end good news all those five are publicly listed yeah so um they might be taking companies off the boards but i guess you could say you can get exposure through those companies not the same wasn't that what montego were doing was they were investing in these guys Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah 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 but let's talk about what's happening in australia because this is a really interesting story so Ramsey gets the headlines. RHC, Australia's biggest hospital operator, $18.3 billion market cap. It's going to probably get taken off and shareholders will, who own Ramsey will get paid in cash, $88 a share. It's not the only one though. No. So 
The next big name, I think, has to be Crown. Absolutely. This one's been going on for ages. Yeah. I think Blackstone have put in multiple bids. Yeah, I think it's gone for like 12 months. Yeah, and old mate Packer, I feel like he's at a point now where he's ready to get rid of it. So for people who haven't heard of Crown, Australia's biggest casino operator. I would assume If not biggest, so. top two with Sky. Yeah, well. Probably biggest. Yeah. Yeah, definitely biggest. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a caveat with asterisk. Without Googling, biggest. <laughs> yes, biggest. Because it's got, so it's got the new casino for high rollers in Sydney. Yeah, Melbourne. Uh, and then it's got Melbourne's casino, and then it's got a big one over in Perth as well. Yeah. 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 So, um, massive casino operator uh, has been put through the absolute ringer over the past year or so. I think three royal commissions in different states. Yeah, so many. And I believe all of them. Either royal commissions or inquiries, and I believe all of them found that Crown wasn't fit to have a casino license. Yeah, weren't so, they going to strip them of it? Yeah, Victoria, New South Wales, and WA, Western Australia, yeah. I think all concluded that. And so Blackstone was amongst a number of buyers, but I think they've won or they're very close to winning. Yeah. Um, $13.10 a share. So similar story with Ramsey. Uh, Blackstone hopes to take Crown off the ASX boards, yeah. pay existing Crown shareholders $13.10 a share. And that's another company that you won't be able to invest, invest in. Absolutely unrelated, but just to show private equity are throwing their cash around. Blackstone's also the biggest buyer and biggest seller of Australian property. No way. Last year they did three point they bought three point six billion and they sold five point eight billion. Commercial? Well yeah, I don't think they're buying residential houses. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hot market. But yeah, so everyone reckons that Blackstone are getting a massive discount yeah, as well. Yeah, the yeah. AFR published the numbers. So Blackstone are paying eight point nine billion. The AFR suggests that Crown is worth between 9.4 and 10.6. Yeah, and this is after, I'm pretty sure, so they came in at 13.10 per share for the bid, but that was, I think their original bid was like 12.40 or something. So they've they've obviously come up a bit, still feels like they, according to some of the analysts, getting a, getting a decent deal. Mm. It's been going on for ages. But let's talk about some other, we're not done yet, let's talk about some other companies that have been taken off the boards by private equity this year after a week 2021 Another big company that I think we've done an episode on before because we did an industry deep dive on IVF. Uh, so this is Australia's largest IVF provider, Virtus, Virtus? Virtus. Virtus Health, ASX ticker VRT. Uh, they've also been uh, agreed to be acquired. By who? A European private equity player, CapVest. There was a bit of a bidding war. BGH Capital were also interested the last couple of months. Um there's been a bit of a bidding war. BGH's first bid was $7.10 a share. Capvest have emerged victorious at $8.25 a share. Interesting. Yeah. Capvest, European player. Yeah. Apparently people were surprised because this private... I'd never heard of them, but yeah, apparently they don't they don't come down under much. So Australia Well, these is, other guys haven't been coming down a lot either, but it's finally sort of getting to mean? our shores. Well, I feel like, that, you know, the... Five years ago, man, I'm just speaking from personal experience, you haven't heard much of KKR or Blackstone kicking around here either. Well, in 2018, KKR bought MYOB, TPG bagged Green Cross, (laughs) Brookfield bought HealthScope and Affinity Equity Partners locked up Scottish Pacific. All in 2018. Yeah. Um, No, look, sorry, I just did have that. The, The reason that I had that handy, that's not just something that, 
I knew. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> is because apparently, you know when, when there was that sell-off towards the end of 2018? Mm-hmm. Apparently private equity got very interested and obviously we've sort of been in a bit of a market sell-off to start 2022. Just went on a shopping spree. Um, and so tyres are getting kicked left, right and centre. Wow. And let's keep rolling because we're ripping through the time on this episode and we've still got a lot more tyres that are being kicked. So another company that has agreed to a deal, Unity Group. Yeah. familiar with them? I am not. I've heard of them. I think a few experts that we've spoken to on the variety of shows that we do have spoken about it. It's like a broadband, owns a lot of like fiber cables and um, broadband infrastructure. ASX ticker UWL. They have agreed to a $3.6 billion takeover from Brookfield and a New Zealand private equity player, Morrison & Co. Apparently Macquarie were also interested in having a crack there. Another billion-dollar-plus private equity deal and another Australian-listed company taken off the board. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, To be honest, I'm not a shareholder in any of these, so I'm not affecting me right now. What about you? Uh, what have we done? Ramsey, no. Crown, no. Virtus, no. Unity, no. So, well, actually, no, sorry, you're wrong. We're both shareholders in well, Ramsey like and Crown ASX. through ASX 200 yeah, yeah, ETFs. Sure, sure. But we know that they're not in, what is it, 50% of ASX is the top 10 miners and banks or whatever it may be. So, not going to matter. Sure. <laughs> Probably matters to some. But yeah. <laughs> uh, there's one company that was going to go on the boards, Latrobe Financial. You've heard of them? Yeah, big time. Yeah, so they were owned by Blackstone, the private equity player. Blackstone were looking at floating them on the ASX, uh, but before they could get onto the ASX, Brookfield snapped them up for $1.6 billion. So Latrobe Financial, are, I think they're – Australia's largest or one of Australia's largest non-bank lenders. Yeah. They also have an asset management arm with $12 billion asset under management, just a casual As like, you do. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they weren't quite acquired from public, uh, like for, as a public company, but they were going to be public and, um, well, uh, reportedly were going to be public and then they got acquired before they just could. sacked it. You've got here Bain Capital looking after, uh, looking at EML payments. Yes. So they're still listed. EML are still listed. Yeah. So now we get into tyres that were kicked but not driven not. away. <laughs> How do you extend that metaphor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. EML, it's a company that's actually spoken a fair bit about in our in our community. Yeah. They are a, for those that are unaware, they're an Aussie-listed uh, payments player around a billion dollars uh, and they offer prepaid payment services in Australia, Europe and North America. In other words, they do gift cards. It actually took me a minute <laughs> to figure out what they meant by prepaid payment services. I was like, is this another payments startup? Yeah, yeah. You know, like um, you can afterpay or you can prepay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, gift cards. <laughs> so so they've been smashed over the last 12 months. I wouldn't say smashed, but pretty significant fall, 50% in the sh- fall in share price over the last 12 months. So... They're looking a bit uh, vulnerable and uh, Bain Capital were interested uh, in buying them out, but it looks like that deal has lost momentum. So for all those AML uh, shareholders out there, it's going to stay on the boards there was like for, the, a, for, the, for, the, for the meantime. There was a week in May in 2021 where AML fo- fell like 45%. Mm. I don't know what happened that week. This, like last year. Last year, yeah. yeah. And then it just hasn't recovered, has it? No. Nah. I think I remember that. Got absolutely hammered. Yeah. So Bain were having a look, but um, doesn't look like 
anything's going to happen. But again, Ty is being kicked. Last one to talk about. I think people get the picture. Private yeah. equity. The the Ramsey story is the story of the moment, but there's a bigger story at play here. There's massive pools of capital that need to find a home, and many of them are finding a home in Australia. The last one is a company that I've spoken about a lot that I worked with, mm-hmm. Clean away. Yeah, I saw them this morning hanging out in our laneway, picking up the garbage. Nice. Yeah. Uh, $6.5 billion waste giant, Australia's largest waste company. Uh, obviously not as big as the um, Veolias and Suez's of the world, but- um, Still significant. Still significant. KKR. The KKR that has come up a couple of times in this episode, um, they are looking at, well, reportedly looking at buying Cleanaway. Apparently, Cleanaway are open to it. They're interested. Also, Cleanaway's share price has ripped recently. Yeah, like, yeah, big time. Full credit. Full um, credit. Apparently, Cleanaway would be looking for about a $10 billion sales price. So, like a meaningful premium to what they're trading at now. But it's important to know that Cleanaway and KKR have uh, had a will-they-won't-they-love affair for about 10 years now. KKR first tried to buy Cleanaway in 2011 before it was even called Cleanaway. It was still called Trans-Pacific mm. back then. But yeah, apparently KKR uh, kicking some tires of some big waste trucks at the moment. Gee, what if, uh, what a, a long courting session yeah, <laughs> between yeah, yeah. the two. I feel like at, at some stage, it, it's a business I would be interested in taking off the table if I was in PE. I think there's like they're incredibly capital intensive businesses and they're building, you know, big uh, recycling facilities. But importantly, and I think why people are so interested in waste at the moment, why Veolia and Suez were looking at merging is because scale matters here mm. um, because waste to energy is the next big thing in waste and you need a heap of waste to feed these beasts, but they can become really productive assets. Yeah. Um, so expensive to build. You need a lot of volume in, but you can get a decent return. But they essentially burn waste to create energy. Yeah, it's not exactly the best use of resource because it's a better. It's better than dip, just putting it in a it. hole. Yeah. Um, but to produce something, you've got to mine the raw ingredients, manufacture it, ship it, sell it, use it, throw it out. You want to save that resource and recycle rather than burn it for energy. So it's not great, but waste to energy overseas is a lot more mature than yeah, it yeah, is yeah, in nice. Australia. Yeah, I'm not sure if they still do, but there was a they probably do. Germany would buy Italian general waste and to burn it to because they needed more yeah, volume. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's a bunch of waste to energy projects being built in Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Queensland. Cleanaway are involved in a number of them. And so I think that's probably where the interest is coming from. But again, it's just another company that's private equity looking to take away from us poor retail investors. Yeah, well, that's kind of the, that's kind of the takeaway from this whole thing, Ren, is we've see, we see fewer and fewer publicly listed companies, more and more companies being scooped up by private equity, more and more companies also staying private for mm. longer and longer periods of time. The access that it, the everyday retailer is getting to some of these companies is uh, the opportunity sets becoming smaller and smaller. So, look, it's it's obviously great to see success stories in Australia mm. of these companies. And if you were shareholders or still are shareholders of some of these companies, you might be handsomely rewarded with some juicy premiums when these guys do come in uh, and take it off the table. But, yeah, it's... Um, it's an interesting trend. Mm. So much cash out there. So much. It's never been a better time to be a founder. 
Like venture capital has so much money, private equity has so much money and they all have mandates that they need to invest that money. And so I guess you could say more companies are getting funded, they're creating more products and services that help consumers. So maybe it's not good for retail investors, but maybe in a roundabout way, it's good for consumers. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Private equity, if you want a marketing well, guy, also, what, guy. What, what it's also done is taken the whole, the concept of a unicorn and it just being this really um, rare and uh, really difficult moment mm. to, to get to as a business valuation. Every second company these days yeah. seems to be hitting unicorn yeah. status because there's so much money yeah. out there. Well, then, then they coined the term decacorn, but then ten billion is now a pretty, it's, like it's it's impressive, <laughs> very impressive. But it's not unique. Yeah, that's the and thing. It's so not- and so now they're doing centicorns, a hundred billion, hundred bill, and then you've got really Stripe, SpaceX, ByteDance. I think are probably the three. I can't think of any more off the top of my head. Decacorn is the new unicorn. No, let's do Centicorn. Centicorn, <laughs> Centicorn, something to aim for. So, look, to close, to wrap the private equity conversation, whilst these companies are gobbling up many of these well-known companies, they are many of them are listed. The big private equity players are listed, so you can do your research yeah. on them. The important caveat is that any one acquisition doesn't really move the needles when, no. you know, Blackstone buying Crown, that's a big deal for us in Australia, looking at our biggest casino operator getting taken off the board. Bryce needs to figure out where he's going to spend his Saturday nights now. <laughs> no. um, but Blackstone probably has like $700 billion asset under management 650. or something. Did you just look it up? Yeah. You just knew that. <laughs> I just knew that. $650 billion. So like it's a it's a it's nothing. drop. It's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, if you want to do your research on these companies, Blackstone uh, is listed in the US. BX is the ticker. KKR, what do you reckon their ticker is? KKR. <laughs> yeah. uh, Carlisle, uh, also in the US. CQ, Apollo, uh, APO, Ares, A-R-E-S. So they were the big five that um, Chris from Montica talked to us about in that episode last year. So you can go and check out that episode to read more about them, to hear more about them. The other big one that we mentioned a few times, Brookfield, listed in Canada, uh, ticker BAM. Brookfield, you may remember, also tried to take another company off the boards in Australia with Mike Cannon-Brooks. Yeah, the um, uh, AGL. AGL, yeah. yeah. So that one fell, but that was another that would have been big. private equity push. Yeah, um, yeah. So look... Long and the short, well, we can't really say long and the short of it because we've been speaking for like 25 <laughs> minutes. The, the long of the it long is of it. private equity are sniffing around. The long so, of it's become a founder. And the get, short of it, that's the short of the it. The short of it is become a founder, get listed on the ASX and then get acquired by private equity. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one. So much cash out there and... Um, yeah, hopefully there'll be some products available at some someday where we as retailers can get access to. Well, you can, I guess, through the list. You can through yeah, these yeah, listed yeah. companies. So, love it, nice one. So, Ren, after the break, we're going to take a look at what's happening in earnings season uh, that's just kicked off over in the US, and uh, go some of the go through some of the big players over there. So, we'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and then pick it up. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Ren, the big news for last week was, and I know I did caveat by saying we're not going to talk about the traditional tech companies that we always do. <laughs> we're going to start well, look, with I think, one. I think we covered a number of companies that we don't talk about recently true, in true. that so, earlier section. So let's bring it back. So, look, we're going to talk about Netflix, and people might think we're going to talk about the 30% price decline that Netflix had. We're actually not. We're going to talk, we're going to celebrate Bryce's most successful TikTok ever. <laughs> <laughs> he did an update on Netflix and it now holds the record as his best TikTok. Go over to our TikTok account and watch it. <laughs> best TikTok, head over, um, check it out, let us so, know your feedback. So thanks, Netflix, so for thanks that. So thanks, Netflix, for <laughs> helping us deliver some incredible content. No, but look, yeah, look, we could just go straight into the results of Netflix and, you know, how the, the share price has tumbled. But I, I wanted to kind of bring it back a level, Ren. You know, we speak a fair bit about in investment thesis and the importance of having an investment thesis, writing your thesis down, understanding why you're investing in a company. And we've been fortunate enough to speak to some of Australia's best investors and also some of the best investors from around the world. And we've heard a number of different investment thesis for Netflix. And I feel like for some of those guys, that thesis is now broken. Hear me out. And <laughs> And, and please add to this if you think I've missed any key points, but some of the main reasons we've heard uh, some of our expert investors believe that uh, Netflix is or was a good investment, things like everyone has Netflix as their primary streaming service. So it's kind of like Netflix is always on every TV and then after that you've either got a mix of Disney Plus or whatever it may be. So Netflix should always be like the dominant player in streaming. Huge addressable market was another reason and they sort of believe that the penetration of US households is still quite small relative to how many people have the ability to have streaming services. So the potential for growth was massive. And then also the fact that they felt there was no threat from competition given how much money Netflix was throwing at new content. They were just literally outspending their competition uh, we know it's a race for content and with that came good actors and high profile names and Oscar nominations and everything that sort of made it the premier content player. Anything that you can kind of think of that uh, other investors would would throw in the investment thesis for Netflix? Best in class management team. Best in class like, management th- team. If you're going to yeah. back anyone to stay ahead of the trend, it's Reed Hastings. Reed Hastings, that's a good one. So, so a lot of reasons that you could say, yep, that makes sense. Netflix, great investment, $200 billion company. We're going to a trillion plus, whatever it may be. But the glory days could be over. Yes. (laughs) Last quarter, Q3, uh, we saw that Netflix subscriber growth slowed and uh, that the share price sort of reacted and everyone sort of got a bit worried. Reed Hastings came out and said, nothing to worry about here. 
competition is starting to heat up a bit. For a long time, Reed Hastings failed to acknowledge competition altogether other than sleep. What are you talking about, bro? <laughs> he was the most acutely aware of what he was actually competing against, which is everything. They never acknowledged that uh, competition. Reed was always like sleep is our biggest competitor. Their attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, he was never sort of like, yeah, like coming out and saying we're threatened by Disney or anything like that. It's 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 widely written that okay. they have they haven't really acknowledged how the, many, the intensity how, of competition. How many CEOs come out and are like, you know, how much did Brad Banducci come out and say, I'm threatened by Coles? Or what? Aldi's really threatening me. Like, is that? Well, I think that was rookie. Our first first year I was at graduate at Woolworths, they literally said Aldi is not a competitor. Uh, that's freaking rookie. <laughs> that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I know, I know. But but um, anyway, rookie. So um, it's all sort of come crashing down this reporting season. Last week, Netflix came out and said that for the first time in ten years, they've actually lost subscribers. 200,000 net loss, and that's the first time since 2011 that they've lost subscribers. Uh, more worryingly, though, is that they expect to lose another 2 million subscribers uh, this current quarter. Now, some of the main drivers for this, obviously, they've pulled out of Russia, so that was 700,000 uh, accounts lost, and they lost 600,000 in uh, North America as well. Why it's a 200K net loss is because Asia was their only growing market um, and they put on just over a million subscribers in Asia. So uh, net loss of 200K and the stock absolutely got pumped down 40%. But this kind of brings me back to the whole, well, has the investment thesis broken for some of the big investors that we have been speaking to? Massive increase in competition and Netflix have absolutely acknowledged this. It's a huge saturation in some of their biggest markets. You think of Disney, Warner Brothers, Paramount, and then even TikTok, YouTube. Like, yeah. it's it's on. If you're not talking TikTok and YouTube, then you're being naive. Yeah, yeah. Our attention has to go somewhere. More and more people um, are turning to the YouTubes and the TikToks and spending less time on on your traditional forms of uh, entertainment. And uh, also non-paying subs. I found this fascinating. There are 100 million households that use Netflix that don't pay for it. So they have 220. Yeah, because it's like you get, even without the whole password sharing thing, you get five accounts. I thought about this last night. I don't th- think that it counts. I think- Okay, so like my housemate, uses his parents' Netflix but has, like, an account there. Yeah. Does yeah. that count in that number? Well, yeah, because, your, 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 like, your payment allows for that. Okay, so, I think okay. It's so that's me, still th- a paying sub. Yeah, I think it's me just literally giving you my login. You see, not, the annoying... Not creating account, but I, I think they're I would, really going to change I this. would never give you my login because it would just ruin my recommendation I know, algorithm. I know, it I don't be, want to watch your Scandi noir crime dramas. It would be <laughs> awful. Well, I use one of my mate's Stan accounts and exactly that's happening. Like, I think we were both watching the same show at the same oh, time. Oh, that's a killer. And that so I'd go on and be like, killer. I feel like I wasn't up to this part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was awful. So Netflix have uh, acknowledged this as well and they're going to try and do something about it, get these 100 million households actually paying. They've also raised their prices, which is something that they're, they're doing to try and counteract what's going on. But anyway, it was just a good reminder for me that 
theses do break. The dream doesn't last forever and it can snap pretty quickly. This has happened in the space of sort of four months. Uh, and what was once touted as a, you know, $1 billion company um, is now absolutely getting... No, it might be a billion dollar company. <laughs> uh, sorry, a trillion, a trillion. Yeah, it might go to a billion dollars. So I want to preface this with I have never owned Netflix. I Oh, really? No, I. You do the. You're one of the hundred million, or you. No, no, you're no. On a- I'm talking about the shares. Oh. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's really surprising. <laughs> I definitely watch Netflix, so I've never owned Netflix. I don't plan on getting in uh, anytime soon, but let me just make the counter case. I think people have overreacted here. Okay. So the share price fell about thirty percent on the back of a two hundred thousand net subscriber loss. Yep. When they pulled out of, they opted to pull out of Russia. Yeah. And they lost seven hundred thousand subscribers on the back of that. Yeah. So, if Russia hadn't invaded Ukraine and Netflix had stayed in Russia, they would have had a five hundred thousand dollar, five hundred thousand subscriber increase for the quarter because that seven hundred thousand Russian, yeah, movement wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So that's point one. The guidance from them though was a two point six million increase so it still would have got smashed so the second thing is if you go back maybe a month the biggest critique of netflix is was that the u.s and canada was saturated that everyone who was going to get a netflix account had a netflix account obviously then the password sharing thing went up and i think that's probably why because they were so saturated Mm. in in that major market and the biggest critique was they couldn't add subscribers in Asia because it was too expensive. As a proportion of income, Netflix subscriptions just didn't make sense compared to in the US or yep. where we are in Australia. They added a million subscribers in Asia. That's a really good response to that criticism that they were getting leveled out a couple of months ago. Yeah, but agreed, agreed to both those points. Still well below what even Netflix assumed would happen. So yep. I think adding a million in Asia is probably like adding 10,000 in Australia kind of thing. Like it's just, it's it's a good <laughs> it's a good response, but I, I think it was well below expectation. But interesting on that um, point around cost, one thing that they are now looking to do is bring in ad, an ad-supported yeah, mo- model yeah. so that you don't have to pay a full subscription to avoid ads. If you're willing to watch ads, then your your subscription uh, price will, will, will drop. Yeah, I, which I, I think... Is smart as long as people get the choice. Yeah. 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 And I, I would pay to not have the ads. For sure. Yeah. yeah. YouTube is killing me at the moment with the amount of ads, so I'm probably just going to upgrade to YouTube Premium. Nice. So, so well done, so Google. Worth it. You've done it again. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So fir- first thing was the loss was that, that Russia factor. Yeah. Um, the second thing was they responded to their Asian criticism and, like, if you think about where the next leg of growth comes from Netflix, it's in terms of users, it's Asia. Mm-hmm. The third thing is just zoom out a little bit. Like (laughs) if you look at a chart of their monthly subscribers, it still looks incredible. Like Uh, where where they're at now is probably like back to like halfway through 2021 or something. And like they brought forward a lot of demand because of COVID. I know that the share price had a lot of future growth built into it and there was expectations and those models now change because you can't keep projecting growth into the future if they're losing subscribers and stuff like that. I get it. But it's like, is Netflix really a third less valuable than it was a few days ago? Or is it more in line with its valuation? Maybe, maybe. But look, I actually don't believe... 
in Netflix being a trillion dollar company. When we spoke to Hamish Douglas, yeah. we pushed like we pushed back on him. Yeah, I think everyone needs to take a deep breath. I think a lot of the things that you started with still hold. A lot of the points are the positives of the thesis. Yeah, like Obama. Obama's doing David Attenborough style documentaries on Netflix. No one's going to get rid of their subscription <laughs> when they've got that. Yeah, but I think about this though. Like, if that's what they have to start pulling out now to get people on, like, how much do you reckon they paid him? I have no idea. Uh, like, do you want to have a guess? Hundred mil. Yeah, that, I guess that as well. Eighty mil. That's, that's pretty significant. Yeah, bro, it's very significant. Yeah, yeah. So if that's the type of stuff that they have to keep doing to keep up. And then I think, you know, if you do zoom out, a lot of their competitors are growing at a faster rate as well. So yeah. um, that that's kind of something to keep in the, in the back of your mind. A lot of the commentary has been about just how good Disney is. Mm. It is just an incredible business story. Like I remember maybe like three years ago, like people were questioning Disney's strategy of – pulling out of cinemas and going direct to consumer with streaming and like they were really I guess like vertically integrating themselves and disrupt internally disrupting themselves. Yeah. That's the kind of case study that will be studied in business schools. Iger. Bob Iger. Yeah. What a weapon. Anyway, that um that's uh that's Netflix. Obviously a couple of the other streaming um streaming companies have been rolled up into the fallout from um, Netflix. We saw Spotify down 10% overnight at time of recording on the 21st of April. Uh, We saw Roku down and we saw Disney also down. Not surprising um, as investors think that similar sort of vibe might hit these guys, Mm. but um, yeah. The one thing that I think is a watch out in this industry is do we start to see consolidation at some point? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like this is like this Netflix um, subscriber sell-off, this subscriber reduction is a canary in the coal mine for there's too many streaming services. Yeah. And I feel like at some point someone has to get the checkbook out and start consolidating. Disney buys Netflix. Bold prediction, 2023. Wow. That would be huge. I feel like competition regulators wouldn't let that go through. Apple buys Netflix, you yeah. can see. But every time a tech company's <laughs> price falls, it's like, will well, Apple buy I know, it? I know, I know. Zoom, Still will Apple on buy Peloton. it? Peloton, will <laughs> Apple buy it? I know, they haven't done anything. Anyway. You know what? Apple buys Zip. <laughs> Do you mean like nothing or zip? Zip pay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, all right. Well, look, it's earnings season. I'm mindful of the time. Let's just rip through a few ones. Yep. Um, Bryce, I know you're the re- retail whisperer. Yep. You love a retail story. So I wanted to tell you a story of the retail meme stock, Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's uh, earnings. So same store sales down 20%. Ooh, t- tough. That's tough. Yeah. And their commentary was that, uh, an unprecedented amount of inventory is tied up in transit, in ports. Um, they just can't get stuff through their supply chain. Yeah. So that story is still playing out in a big way. But this is a reminder that buy and hold investing doesn't always work. Yes. That you need to that buying and holding individual stocks and buying and holding indexes, indexes yeah. are two different, different things. stories. Yeah, yeah. Bed Bath and Beyond, one point six billion dollar market cap. Mm-hmm. It at one stage had an eighteen billion dollar market cap. Wow! It last was at one point six billion in nineteen ninety six. Jeez! Yeah. <laughs> wow. So it's 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 really hurting. So if you had bought and hold up to from one point six in nineteen ninety six to eighteen billion, you would have been happy. Yeah. Wouldn't have been so happy on the way back. No, you're back to where you started. <laughs> I wonder if this whole supply chain situation is making a lot of these businesses rethink their own supply chain and start doing a bit more 
vertical integration and really owning a lot more of the end-to-end. I think the, the problem with that is th- it's not a vertical integration problem. It's not like if I owned the trucks, if I True, owned if I the, the boat, container yeah. Yeah, ships. It, it's just like the port of Los Angeles is backed up yeah, so yeah, much. Yeah, true. Um, but I think a big thing that they are reconsidering is we sort of lived through a generation of just-in-time inventory. You want to keep mm. your working capital as low mm. as possible and you want like you don't want stock sitting in your the back of your supermarket. I remember that was such a big thing at Coles. Yeah. It was like how do we have nothing in the back and it's just like straight onto the shelves, straight onto the shelves. But I think a lot of retailers are now thinking we need emergency stock. Yeah. Um, Big time. And I think Bed Bath & Beyond, like, it. This, this story is an example of that because if your stock's tied up in port, you can't get it on the shelf, your same store sales fall, your share price falls, no one is happy. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> also, your customers aren't happy because they can't get what they need yeah. and then they probably don't trust you to go back the next time and they go to a competitor. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating. All right, Ren, just to close out, two kind of trends that um, are coming through uh, from uh, reporting season. Inflation. We speak about companies, uh, if you're thinking about investing during inflation, finding companies that can, uh, that have pricing power or have the ability to raise prices in line with inflation. Uh, often some of your traditional retailers are in that bucket, the Coles and Woolworths here in Australia, uh, some of the retailers overseas, if, uh, if they can raise prices, they will. That's interesting. I would definitely not have said that they're, anyway, let's, let's keep rolling. But like, I would say that Coles and Woolies are, find it really tough to raise prices because- the competition is so sharp between them. Yeah, but they do. Like, it's happening. Yeah, and especially because Aldi is there as a lower-cost alternative yeah, the whole time. They're just, they're, they are raising prices. So, yeah. yeah, anyway, and we're seeing it overseas. Johnson & Johnson um, have reported they're facing big rising costs, obviously due to inflation and the supply constraints that we've spoken about. They've lowered their guidance by a billion dollars but have, uh, have indicated that they're going to be raising prices across the board. Another one, Procter & Gamble, I think they're actually over in the UK from memory. Yeah. Um, they have reported uh, quarterly earnings and revenue that have beat Wall Street expectations. No, um, sorry, New York. New York, yeah. oh, right. And um, they have suffered from higher commodity prices and freight costs, but they've turned around and have raised their prices uh, and so have been able to meet earnings and, and uh, revenue expectations. So just something to keep in mind. It's funny how the inflation, like that was the inflation story at the start of the year and everyone, well, and last year as well, it's transitory. The supply chains are tangled. Um, you know, ports will get more efficient and we'll start we'll get more containers back and it'll all untangle and then oil prices became the inflation story and that has been the inflation story but this hasn't untangled no it's yeah, not going it's, anywhere it hasn't untangled at all yes i remember speaking to uh, roger montgomery on osbiz late last year and he was very committed to the idea of it being transitory so i'd love to get him back on actually to hear his thoughts on how he's thinking about true it well you calling him out like that probably isn't a good start <laughs> no, but- <laughs> no i'm not i'm not calling him out i'm not calling him out you've just, called out I'm hamish just- <laughs> douglas roger montgomery you want to call no, out any I'm other just, big australian I'm just, investors <laughs> i'm just interested apologies to both of you two you're actually great supporters of the show but um just to just to close out ren uh, an interesting trend the big investment banks overseas have all beat expectations in some form, be it revenue, be it profit. But a lot of them have done really well through their trading desks, their equity trading desks over the last quarter, making the most of what has been a pretty volatile market over the last few weeks, a few months, and all doing really well and subsequently have reported pretty good numbers. So that's just something to keep in mind as well when 
volatility hits the markets, uh, these big boys go to town and, mm. and uh, their trading desks get very active and obviously do very well. So keep an eye on those. Yeah, nice one. Well, look, I think we probably have given it a good nudge in terms of timing today. Thanks for those who stuck around with us. If you want to hear more of our voices, head over to the dive. Well, actually, you won't hear Bryce's voice yet. He's a bit shy to get on. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this, when, this episode's going out on Monday. It'll be out now on Monday. So yeah. actually, Bryce's debut episode oh, for the dive will also be out. Um, so plenty more to listen to. Head over. Yeah. If you want to know what's going on in the land of on-demand groceries, think Volley, think Milk Run here in Australia, uh, some big, big names overseas, we're unpacking it and on, just on the dive. A, so yeah, head over there, uh, give it a listen. Hopefully you like it. Let us know. Um, and one thing before we go, it is Anzac Day here in Australia. So a big thank you to anyone who is listening, who is serving or who has served. Uh, we appreciate your service and we, we hope you have a good day. So nice. I think that's it, Bryce. Nice one, Ren. Well, as always, great to chat and uh, we'll pick it up on Thursday. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.